generations to heal the black community. Everybody, welcome to another podcast episode of Crucial Conversations. Today, it's going to be myself and DJ and Shingeri. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I am feeling good. I'm alive. I'm well. I have no complaints. Awesome. Awesome. Keeping it in perspective. And we're going to be talking about um, COVID and how it relates to schools and all of these other things as far as a little bit, touch on a little bit of the color of COVID in that conversation as well. So this is going to be a two-part segment. So you got to tune in next week to to hear the rest of the conversation. I heard what Dr. Fauci said, because he was like, of course, if, if, and I think this is where people are missing the point, because he said, if all goes according to plan. Nothing to date during, going, about COVID has been to going plan. to plan. Yeah, I'm not going to leave this up to chance because every single detail of the plan that the United States government has laid out for COVID has not worked. None of it's worked. Mm. And I don't trust y'all. Like, period. <laughs> so I'm well, not going to send my kid to school. Yeah, and I and I totally understand that. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, there's this piecemeal type of approach to it, mm-hmm. to where people are leaving it up to individual districts and counties and whatever to make decisions in regards to how far their restrictions are going to be. But people travel constantly. People, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you can go from a place that's very strict and has all the precautions, and all it takes is one or two people from out of the county to travel mm-hmm. or stay or visit in a particular area, and you could have an outbreak. So that's, I think, a big reason why is that there's not like a federal mandate, or in some states, there's no statewide mandate. It's just not going to work. The way it's been able to be controlled in other countries is they would have blanket lockdowns and restrictions. And it's really tough to do, but that's what they found has worked. Mm-hmm. Universal masking. People need to put on a freaking mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know why it's like that hard to do, but apparently it's, it's we don't basically... Corona's going to be here for a while. Mm-hmm. It's like people are so freaking stubborn. If we followed the rules, it would have worked. You've seen it's worked in 50 trillion mm-hmm. other countries. Mm-hmm. But we can't freaking follow rules. We're too smart for that. We're too high and mighty for that in the United States of America. Yeah. Which is yeah, America- like y'all can plan all you want, but people are still like even one of the posts I made recently, somebody was like, well, why can't kids go to schools? They go to the mall. They go to this. They're not supposed to be at the mall either. Why are they at the mall? <laughs> why are you dropping your kids off at the mall? Yeah. Yeah, I think a part of it is, and I don't know why it's still taking this long for it to sink in. Like, there's this idea of American exceptionalism mm-hmm. to where things that happen in other countries don't touch us. 
Mm-hmm. So when coronavirus came here, people were like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. It'll be controlled. You know, we're America. And then here we are, you know. We're superhuman or something. Yeah, like like our, yeah, exactly. Like, well, no, it impacts everybody Wakanda. else. Doesn't impact right. us. Right. So a lot of it's um, arrogance mixed with ignorance, which is like the worst combination. Um, yeah. Mm. So arrogance and bigotry together. Speaking exactly. of bigotry, did you see my post about Washington State and their school re- reopening plan? No. Please, please <laughs> tell. Do tell. So under a series of restrictions that have no basis of any kind in science, it's a kind of bizarre health theater. Students will be kept six feet apart. Everyone will have to wear a mask. Class size will be limited. In some schools, there will be scheduled bathroom breaks, et cetera, et cetera. No sports. In Washington State, education officials are considering letting students go back to school on the basis of their race. Non-white kids will get to go back first, while white students would be ordered to stay home until the virus subsides. Now, you may have thought, that plans like that Wait, were eliminated what? with the Brown versus Board Education decision Wait. 65 years ago. But no, it's all coming back. Wait, hold you on. heard that right? It's right. It's real. <laughs> so wait, white kids, wait, wait, wait. white kids have the option to stay home. They're required but... to stay home. They're like in phase three or phase four of Washington State's plan. Phase one and two requires. Because <laughs> I don't know how they're making it based on race. Get out. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 a wait, minute. wait. Because I, I don't, when, when one of my students actually sent me that clip, I first, at first I was like, this is a prank. But I like to look at all of the news mediums because I like to see what everybody else is talking about too. So I can formulate the narrative in my head and kind of get mm-hmm. the facts of like, like okay so this is what the right wing people are thinking whatever so anyway so washington has been washington state has long had uh racism issues and they've been you know like said to be very biased and all the other stuff so there's been this initiative Mm -hmm. in the past two years to be more woke (laughs) and so they in an effort to uh, have more diversity and all this other stuff. They've been trying to create more access for disadvantaged kids to have mm-hmm. access to their teachers. So mm-hmm. that's how this all started. So they're having a conversation. It's like, well, our black and brown students are the most disadvantaged and they need to have access to their teachers. So we're going to let them go back first. But and so, like, you know, typically mm. any other time when you're not dealing with the deadly virus that we don't understand, it might be like, mm, okay, there might be some validity to this. But then you start looking at the fact of what's going on, the fact that these, um, like, look at Trump, for instance. Are, is he sending his kids to school? No. Mm-hmm. His kids are being mm-hmm. homeschooled. They're doing remote schooling. All of mm-hmm. these white politicians, they're encouraging schools to reopen, but they're keeping their, their kids, their kids home. Yeah. And then you have Washington state in the name of diversity. Who's just like, Oh, we're going to have all the, the non-white kids go back. So I mean, cause non-white less aggressive than, yeah. Than black. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about something like this, so 
Yeah, that's that's real life. Like that's their that's, plan. So are they giving quote unquote non white children an option not no. to have no. to go back? Nope. Ah! They don't have the option. Stop. And they said in their um their oh, press release, no. they said that oh, because no. they find that most of the minority students, their parents have to work, and most parents don't, you know, they wouldn't be able to keep them home anyway. And then a lot of them don't. That eat. Is- well, yeah, I get that, but to statements. say, yeah, as if there's so no, black, like, you're poor. upper middle class, what? Oh, my gosh, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh. even Dr. Fauci was saying the other day, he was being pressed by, I guess it was the Senate, I can't remember who he was talking to. They were saying, does the protest, protest increase yep. the chances? And he kept saying, well, I don't want to say the protest. You know, I'll just say large crowds. Mm-hmm. But right. You got to think, who's the majority of the people at the protests? Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. they're letting, so we're, they say, stay quarantined, stay in the house. That, that was the, the beginning. And then two months in, mm-hmm. oh, y'all can protest, you know, George Floyd, you know, go, go protest. And go they're, the, they're not stopping it. Exactly. And it's almost like population control or something. I can't tell you how many, di- I have gotten the most DMs from that post. Than anything I've recorded in a long time or posted in a long time. Mm-hmm. People were like, we don't understand. Why are you so opposed to this? Um, blah, 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 blah. Like, aren't you all about equity? You're a professor of equity. So here's what you're not going to do. <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to take what we're fighting for and use it as a weapon, weapon against yep. the community because that's essentially Ooh. what you're doing. And mm. to sit here and say, oh, this is in the name of equity. Heck no, it's not. No, and I don't understand no. why more people are not upset about this. I guess because they're not studying and they're not. I don't know. But like, I am furious about it. But to not give them an <laughs> option. I'm sitting here like, of course, they just have the option to go in or stay home. So they're not even giving the kids an option. That does now that to me is straight no. It's genocidal. That is. I'm gonna put you this is Tuskegee. All over again. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. Oh my God. Especially considering the statistics early on. I mean, in New York, they said 70% of the mortality were African Americans. 70%. So it's like it's affecting our community disproportionately. Why? Oh no! See, uh, uh-uh. uh, that's crazy. I just don't get. I'm, I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'm gonna have I'm to share upset. your post. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you guys upset. I just, I just needed to like share with people who have rational thoughts about these things. <laughs> but then it, it doesn't stop there. Then you look at Bill Gates when they were talking about putting the vaccine out to the whole world. They said it has to go to the most disenfranchised people first. And so they would say it's mm. black or brown people. So it's like the yeah. same the ideology. We're testing you. We're going to be our guinea pigs. Yeah, we're actually helping you, right? Like, uh. So the, as a medical professional, I will, and I'm not even nervous to say this, I will not be the first in line to get this vaccine. If I wouldn't either. This early. Mm-mm. No way. Because they're throwing not it together. Yeah, it's thrown together. Like, they're still experimenting on people, basically, mm-hmm. when, they, when they're going to push this out. So, 
when the fastest vaccine typically takes four years. Exactly. And y'all talking about you taking what, six months. months? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I said the, the same one. thing and people mm-hmm. thought I was crazy. They're like, but yeah. you work in public health. You're pro-vaccine. I am mm-hmm. pro-vaccination when it's done correctly. Correctly. When yeah. it's been adequately tested and all, you know, like it takes time for time. this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, people start talking about herd immunity. How are we going to be immune to something that we don't understand? Like mm-hmm. our bodies haven't even had the time to build up antibodies against this virus. If right. we don't, we don't understand it. And if, I mean, cause if our bodies, if our bodies had the opportunity to build up a tolerance to it, we would have some type of vaccine already because you could test it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not an immunologist, but that stuff takes time. You're, you're not just immediately immersed and exposed to a new disease or a virus. And then you develop antibodies like that. Like it takes time for it to happen. It, it does. And um, coronaviruses have been around for a while. This yep. is a particular strain and type of coronavirus that's totally new, totally unfounded. And I call it a beast because it doesn't act like a typical coronavirus. The fact that people can walk around asymptomatic, still spread it, and not even have any symptoms. Um, for instance, typically people, although the flu virus isn't a coronavirus, but when people are sick with the flu, like they typically are symptomatic within two days of exposure. People on this, you know, with the COVID-19, they could be exposed and for two weeks spread it without having a single symptom. Um, so this is very highly unusual and it's highly transmittable. So I don't think people understand seriousness of this thing compared to other things that are out there so yeah how do we feel about this people well this dr (laughs) emmanuel she was saying that the hype the hydro whatever that thing was called what are you yeah tell me about about that because i'm not health i'm not health conscious of understanding all the parameters is that real or is that fake so she um yeah she's full of bs Um, So initially that drug was thought to be a possible uh, treatment for coronavirus. So they've done uh, very early studies on it. They found that in a small percentage of people, they might, it might not necessarily help the person who's taking it, but it prevents them from, it's not, it makes the virus not as transmittable to others. So it doesn't necessarily cure the person at all who's taking it. It just keeps it from potentially spreading it. Well, they thought, they theoretically thought that that was plausible, but they found that in those cases are very rare and, and not, and basically negligible. Um, if anything, because of course with pharmaceutics, there's always going to be the chance of some adverse effects. They found that people were actually dying or even having more adverse effects as a result of taking it. So it was deemed not a treatment or part of a management of any sort for um, coronavirus. Mm. So that's been determined and basically confirmed by multiple studies. 
Um, but for some reason, maybe for <clears throat> politics or for uh, financial incentives uh, via investment in the company that produces the medicine. Um, our president keeps pushing it. These political, you know, packs keep pushing it as a miracle drug. And it's just simply not. Um, if that was the case, it'd be, you know, it'd be eradicated. We wouldn't be dealing with this by now. Right. But they found consistently that it's ineffective. So the lady is a fool. Um, and yeah, just don't. One thing I even tell patients this when I when I interact with patients, like, yes, I'm a medical professional. Yes, you may encounter people who have the degrees, have, you know, whatever, the so-called expertise. But there's nothing wrong in questioning certain things when it doesn't sound right. Because there's people that have MDs but aren't worth the anything. <laughs> like they're out there for whatever reason and motivation, not necessarily, you know, saying the right thing. So, yeah, yeah, that's a no. <laughs> you have to be very careful about spreading misinformation, like because yeah. um, coloquine or hydroxychloroquine, like it's different names. They so. It has similar, on normal, healthy, I hate to use the term normal, on healthy individuals, it typically has effects like zinc, like what zinc does in the body. So that's kind of where they got the concept of, oh, maybe this will work because it, you know, worked for malaria and a bunch of other different things. Like, I think it's good for lupus. Mm -hmm. um, but what's happening is, like Shinyari said, some of the people who were taking um, coloquine had adverse liver and heart and other damaging effects. I mean, because again, like we don't understand what COVID does to our body. Obviously it weakens it. And so then you have this drug that somebody's hypersensitive to, and it makes it way worse. And it's yeah. like, guys, are you even doing like, you know, looking at the, the background medical history of these people before you these give people. them Colicone? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why would you do that? That's not very smart. Um, but yeah, she, she, she don't know what she's talking about because the FDA and everybody else has put out so many things about why it doesn't work. Even people in other countries have said it doesn't work. So why are, yeah. why, again, kind of like to your earlier point, Shingeri, why do we... I get we have to do our own research to a, de mm -hmm. a degree, but if other countries who have found a way to minimize their numbers are telling us or giving us advice on what works and what doesn't, mm -hmm. why do we feel the need to still figure yeah. it out on our own? Like, why do we, yeah. what is it about Americans yeah. that... <laughs> yeah. it's, well, you know, prime example is very early on, right? Countries, um, I forget which country had already mass produced a number of tests and they offered it to the U.S. This was before it really blew up here in the U.S. They offered it to the U.S. and the U.S. rejected it because they were like, oh, we want to make our own. So the FDA or CDC created their own batch of tests only to find out that it was a bad batch. It went out, millions went out and they were basically null and void. So, of course, you know, we could have taken those tests that were made overseas, which were solid tests, and would have at least gotten a better idea of the spread at that time. But we did 
hey, trying to do it the American way and do it our own way and we'll make it American made only for our tests to be uh, an utter waste. They were, they were bad tests. So I think we need to get this idea of American exceptionalism out of our heads. And especially now, we, we need to humble ourselves. It's sad. What yeah. could we have done in the very beginning of all this? I guess maybe March, maybe April. What if you were president or if you were over CDC or FD, whoever decided all this, what could we have done differently to prevent what we're currently going through now in uh, the later part of the year of 2020? Hmm. My first suggestion is just to listen. Mm. We didn't do any of that. <laughs> nope. It was instantly, I mean, because some of these countries had cases long before our first documented cases. So they had already started doing some of the groundwork. Um, But, and I think that some of it was just the distrust of the American government on, Mm. I mean, because a lot of that early advice was coming from China. So they were like, well, you guys gave us this, you know, this virus. So we don't want to listen to you. Um, and it's really interesting. I, I know like some people will say, oh, it's conspiracy theories and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, some people were saying that China specifically created this virus or created a derivative of coronavirus to specifically affect the American population. Now, while I don't know about that, I, I don't know. I, these are things that people are saying. And honestly, it could be true. It could be false. I don't know. <laughs> but but then it, yeah you know it it's also it makes you wonder though because it's just like if we had have simply just listened to them instead of shut them down at the beginning i'm just saying like because their 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 advice wasn't any different from south korea or anywhere else who was giving us advice so I think from the beginning, it's always been like the three major things. Hand hygiene, washing Mm -hmm. your hands regularly, masking, and social distancing. Like that's the triad that has, uh, you know, been effective then and is still effective now. It's hard for people to do that, all three, but that's what it takes. I think had we embraced um, I think there was, uh, I forget, one of the individuals on the task force said today that if we could get 85 to 95% of the population to simply start masking, nothing else, not even social distancing or anything, just masking, mm. that would eliminate the need for any lockdown. Like mm. it would literally control the virus enough to not require things to be locked down and adversely affect our economy. So something as, as simple as putting a basic mask on, right? It's so hard for us to do, but it could be so beneficial. Unfortunately, I think in the U.S. versus other countries is wearing a mask has been this emblem of symbolism and, oh, this is taking away my freedom and da 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 Even Trump said at one point, you know, I see it as people who wear a mask are not uh are against me or something and it's just like 
they're just trying to protect their health. It has nothing to do with you, you know? So what makes it so bad and heinous here as far as the spread of the virus is that it's been politicized. Mm -hmm. And you never saw that in other countries. You don't see like a political party of one uh, in a country uh, and in different countries where one political party is against masking um, and the other is. So it's like, that's where it got messed up when, when politics got in, into play, when all it is is science. And this virus will affect you whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, independent, a libertarian, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, that's the thing that's really got us messed up. So I would say universal masking would have been the easiest thing to implement early on. Yeah, um, I agree. And I, I, you made me think of something else. Like, I think also the over focus on like systems based thinking mm-hmm. and also the just the inconsistency and the unresponsiveness of our government as well. Um, so like systems-based thinking, some people might be like, well, what the heck is that? So like, for instance, like the whole flattening the curve thing, you know, in Mm -hmm. epidemiology, we understand what that is. However, it's still in essence, a concept of flattening the curve where, you know, you're calling for distance and isolation and the masking and all the other stuff, but it's not because of people being at risk for COVID. It's because we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system and the hospitals and the system. We're thinking in terms of the system and not the people. And I feel Mm -hmm. like if we had a focus more on the people, we would have thought through the fact that, hey, people who have comorbidities will be at greater risk because this so greatly affects both your respiratory and your GI systems. Um, and some of the the issues with disparities and the uh, disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement of, Lord, I can't talk today. The disenfranchisement of the Black community wh- wh- as it pertains to chronic diseases, I think a lot of that would have been minimized if we took a much more individual approach than a systemic mm. approach. Um, Mm -hmm. because we would have thought more through the dynamics of the populations versus the system as a whole. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that that's backwards to focus from the top down system down to individual versus looking at the individuals upwards. Um, So then, and then of course, (laughs) there's, I don't really have to explain the fact that our president was giving, not only was he unresponsive, he was giving very conflicting messages, sometimes within the five-minute time span. It's like, yeah. you just tweeted this, <laughs> and you just said this. this I'm oh, so yeah. confused. <laughs> and He's then you have, the yeah. <laughs> you have the FDA and CDC saying something else, and then I'm just like, yo, y'all need to get your stories together. Um, even if you disagree, you need to put up, it's just like, I don't know if they're y'all's family, but my family was like, look, when we go outside the wall, the world, into the world, we are a unified front. Even if we disagree, when they see us, we are a unified front. <laughs> That's how I feel mm-hmm. about the government. I'm like, y'all need to sit down at your round table or whatever you have behind the scenes and say, hey, <laughs> this is the yeah. message we're going to put out to the American people. Yeah. So. The messaging is, is key. And that's something, yeah, something really pivotal you just said is the, the messaging from looking at it from a system standpoint and telling people, oh, we're trying to bend the curve. 
you really got to make sure you get a message that resonates to, with people that will actually get them to comply with what is being asked of them. Mm-hmm. So flattening the curve, even though it's catchy and people kind of understood it, it's like, oh, we don't want to overwhelm our healthcare system. Okay. But there's people out there that are very self-serving, very selfish, and you almost have to message to people in a way to where how does it benefit them individually? So I heard, I think I read some like Twitter post saying that one of the mistakes they made in their initial messaging regarding masking in particular is to say that masking is pr- protects other people, which it does, right? So masking really helps, for instance, a person that possibly got the virus from potentially spreading it to others. And realizing that there is a subset of individuals who really don't care enough about other people to even think that would be necessary or they're not going to do it because it does nothing for them. Um, Now there's emerging evidence showing that there actually is some benefit to the person who's wearing the mask. Um, It will at least prevent them from um, taking in as many particles of a face from an infected person. Um, So there is benefit now that they're finding with uh, both the uh, with the people who wear the mask as well as the, those people preventing it, you know, spreading to others. So a lot of it is messaging. You almost have to assume people are very self-serving and selfish in a way mm-hmm. and inform people to do things based on how it benefits them. And that's, <laughs> it's just the, the human condition. People are very kind of, the world re- revolves around them. So I think had they really gotten their messaging on point to show people how it benefits them as individuals, that would probably have gotten more compliance um, as a whole, just in my opinion, and dealing with people. (laughs) That's just the way people are, you know? So that's a really good point. It's like the value proposition. Like, so find the value proposition for the people. (laughs) I mean, it is messed up. Yeah. That's just basic marketing. (laughs) It's like market the people. (laughs) No, I'm telling you, it's crazy. But yeah, when you have like, I don't know, I guess the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Like that's what I feel that the American approach has been, like Mm -hmm. literally the definition of insanity. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, that's good. I like what you said also about like speaking to people and like the terminologies that they even use, like flattening the curve. Most people have never taken any type of epidemiology, microbiology, none of those classes. So you start talking about flattening a curve. People are like, what? Can you just put it in layman's terms, please? Yeah. Yeah. So they really needed like a marketing person to kind of, I don't know. The, the administration is just horrible. <laughs> they were they were just bad. Yeah. And poor Dr. Bur- uh, Deborah Burke. Now he's throwing her under the bus. <laughs> like, <laughs> poor thing. He called her pathetic. Oh, jeez. First Fauci. And now, now poor Deborah. Jeez. Now, as we're looking at these reflections over Corona, for me personally, it didn't become a big thing until an NBA player got the got tested positive. Mm. 
Mm. On the oh. health side, on the health side, was it a big thing prior to the NBA shutting down, or or was it the NBA for you as well that triggered, uh, you know, hey, th- this is really serious? What, what was it like for your experience? From a payer perspective, because you know I work uh, on the policy side, on the the insurance side of mm-hmm. things. Yeah, we knew it was coming. Like mm-hmm. I had already prepared. I canceled my daughter's birthday party. This was in March. The beginning. I remember of that. Yes. After I had already rescheduled it. I remember. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was coming. I was like, we're we're yes. seeing some really strange things in the numbers oh, here. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I work in healthcare quality, so I'm looking at numbers all day. I'm like, mm, something's not right here. And so um, I hadn't been into my, I haven't been to my office since February at this point um, because we knew, like I told my staff, I was like, I want you guys to start thinking about how we will make this. It's very easy for us to work remote simply because we're in meetings or on computers or talking all day. So we can do that anywhere really. So I was like, you know, start bringing your stuff home. So that's why a lot of my stuff I already had home. So we we had some type of suspicion that things were going to hit the fan from yeah. the perspective. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, I you know, I had been monitoring things since February. I remember even before the, um, Hogan had put any, um, and DJ Hogan, that's our, uh, the governor of Maryland, you know, before he even put in mandates or any type of directives on, you know, coronavirus, bending the curb, you know, whatever, I had meetings with my staff. And, you know, in regards to, hey, this is what's going on, this is the protocol that we're going to put in place, you know, and it was really just from watching the news and watching this thing, like, you know, every, I think the first cases were noted in like Washington State and New York. And I don't know if there was any particular event or anything that made it real, but I remember very early on in February, um, I had like mid-February, I had a meeting with my staff to address this issue and how we were going to approach it and what protocols we were going to have in place. Um, A friend of mine lived at, um, she was an administrator at one of the local hospitals. So she was sharing with me what things that, you know, their staff and everything were doing. So, yeah, I took it pretty seriously from from the beginning. Um, Even sent out like newsletters to my patients about, you know, uh, following the guidelines on the CDC. And and that was in early March. Um, So I, I wasn't playing like from the beginning. I'd rather over respond than under respond when it comes to Mm -hmm. something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's the training, that disaster preparedness. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. That, honestly, I could say in my public health training, that's probably one of the most, I don't say all my classes were beneficial to some degree, but like that one I think was the most eye opening about like what ifs. Um, like even in my house, like I have fire escape ladders on every floor. Like I, I'm always thinking about like, what if, like, what's the worst mm. that could happen and how are we prepared to address that? If right. there's a break in or if there's a fire or 
whatever. And I, I think, and not to make everyone or say everybody should be like paranoid. Cause that's, that's not what disaster preparedness is either. Um, but it's also just like, okay, let's brace ourselves for the worst and hope for the best. The best. Yeah. More so it. And I don't think that mm-hmm. we did that at all. <laughs> no, not, not at all. Um, and, and here we are, you know, it's, I think um, I was reading an article where Google, their employees will be working from home until mid 2021. Mm-hmm. Like they already are just like, this is out of control. It's going to take a while for it to, to get it together and talk about thinking ahead. Like they were already like point blank. We're not coming back anywhere until 2021. So you know, when you hear major companies like that doing doing things, you know, in, in preparation for this, uh, you know, who would have thought we'd be here at this point? I thought we'd be, you know, back at school and life maybe back to normal. We'll get this under control, you know, but talk about making all the wrong moves. I know. Like right. all the wrong moves from the beginning. What is What is the rationale? And you may not know this answer. What is the rationale behind these schools? Uh, I know that's how we kind of began the conversation saying, Hey, you know, you, we're not going to have church. Many people can't go to work. They can't go to restaurants. You have to sit and eat at patios, but we're going to put children inside of school. Is there any rationale to that? Is, I mean, I get, I, I guess I can see one rationale, you know, they need their education. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm trying to figure out where is this coming from of let's put children in school during all that's going on. I, I'm 100% with you. And a lot of people will argue kids need social interaction. They absolutely do. People say parents need a break. That's why I pause a little bit, though, because mm-hmm. I'm just like, while it does help for children to have a you know different sceneries throughout the day, these are your kids. These are not your teacher, the teachers' children. These are your kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they're ultimately your responsibility, no responsibility. not the school districts, <laughs> not <laughs> their <true>. teachers. <laughs> and so, like for me, as a parent, while yes, I realize it is going to be very difficult sometimes to conduct business and do everything I need to do and then also be homeschool teacher. I mean, we had a taste of that earlier this year. So I get that. However, I'm willing to make that sacrifice because I will do anything to keep my child safe and healthy. Like I don't, I don't, Mm -hmm. I've quit my job before I ever tried to put her, you know, if that was my personal conviction, then absolutely. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to uphold that. Um, But so it's, it's a little bit of that. It's also, you have to understand that. So a lot of people who are like very pro health disparities, pro like economic empowerment, they're arguing for kids to go back to school because truthfully, a lot of kids who are lower income, they get most of their food at school, not at Mm -hmm. home. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are some other very valid reasons that people have for kids going to school. My mm-hmm. thing is, okay, I get that. So let's address it. And let's, let's not ignore all of the reasons, but let's create alternative solutions for right. things right. like kids not eating. So deliveries to the food to the kids' homes or where the kids can come pick it up. 
a lot of teachers are older. <laughs> Her third grade teacher, she's an older lady and she's had like kidney issues and all kinds of other things. Are you telling me that you have teachers in classroom? I'm sure she's not the only teacher that category so what about the teachers yeah so uh I have a more cynical (laughs) I mean this whole administration has made me quite cynical so (laughs) bear with me I think uh it, it really depends on who is saying open our schools I think certain politicians it's purely economic Mm -hmm. um because they want workers to come back to their factories and back to their businesses and back to whatever, their enterprises, they know they can't do that with, you know, if their children are at home. Someone's got to stay home for the kids. Um, They don't want to allow people to use the quote-unquote excuse of, I have to stay home with my kids. Um... To, and they know that a big part of the economic, getting the economy back on track is to have schools open. You know, there's been research, there's been evidence that there's definitely a link between the two. Um, so a lot of that is, for some, not all, um, you know, uh, is, is what's driving it. One of the early recommendations by the American Academy of Pediatricians, I believe, or American Association of Pediatricians was that, you know, kids need to be back in school. And a lot of the politicians were using that as a reason. Oh, well, the, you know, Association of Pediatricians recommended it. But then they had to go back and clarify that, yes, children need to go back to school once it is safe to go back. You can't just... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They keep saying, oh, you know, in other countries, they're opening up schools and da 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 Well, they only have a couple of hundred cases. That's why they can open up school. We're in the thousands, the tens, like, no way, you know? So it's just a lot of it's, uh, you know, for me, I think it's, it's uh, for some people, it's, it's economic, especially for some of these capitalists. It's purely economic. They don't care about these kids. And their health and their uh, what is it uh, mental well being they could care less. So I don't know. That's my cynical <laughs> approach to this. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you though, because they say the primary consideration is safety. But how is mm. it safe if people aren't following the rules? The rules. If people yeah. would follow the rules, that I can see mm-hmm. you possibly properly following these protocols because like I know that people are saying oh well Dr. Fauci said it blah 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 but the evidence shows us otherwise look at what happened in San Francisco when those principals got together to meet about how they were going to reopen their schools Mm. these are principals Mm -hmm. 40 40 Mm -hmm. of them 40 of them after one meeting on one day had to go into quarantine. There was one school that reopened and on the very first day within like two hours, they had a call from the health department about a child who need, and that's why I'm just like, guys, this is not, 
a good idea. Like, this is not a good idea. I'm like, yeah. And especially, like, there's, I think, like, in the last week, 30 states had increased um, numbers of COVID cases. I'm like, the cases aren't going down. Like, I can see if they were drastically lower, we were on our way out of this, but they are steadily going up across the entire nation. Yeah. How does this make sense? It it really doesn't. Um, (laughs) I heard someone say, if your school or district or county is still having virtual meetings about whether to open up schools or not, then they do not need to open up schools. (laughs) Because if it's not safe enough to have an in-person meeting, and they're still having virtual meetings, right? The adults are having virtual meetings and then saying, oh, the kids can go back to school. Well, yeah, that's just an indication that it's not safe, you know? And I thought that was that was a very interesting take on it, it you know? To continue this conversation with us, stay tuned. Oh, conversations to heal the Black community. Oh, oh we will.